Thank you for tuning into the VF1 show with VF and Vincenzo, the podcast that discusses all things business, marketing, politics, and government within the world of Formula One. If that's your thing, then you found the right place. So without further ado, it's lights out and away we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the VF1 show with me, VF Castro, and my co-host, Vincenzo Landino. We took a little break last week because Vincenzo was in Talladega, so we're going to be talking about that today. Uh, Before that, though, I'm going to kind of give you guys a little update on what's going on in the world of F1. For starters, apparently, according to an F1 journalist, there's a not-so-secret rumor that Charles Leclerc is talking to Mercedes. Uh, His name is Leo Torini, and he said everyone knows it from the remote garage in Marinello to the Indian Ocean. So what do we all think about that? If you guys have any thoughts to that, please let us know because we are very curious, Uh, especially with the fact that Lewis hasn't signed his extension yet. I think that's peculiar. I think I think he's maybe waiting to see where Mercedes goes this season in terms of car development, but who knows? Also, there is a new sprint format in Formula One. So as we know, it's a different uh, format calendar. It'll be used, yeah, at uh, Baku, Austria, Belgium, Qatar, USA, and Brazil. So the Saturday sprint is 100 kilometers, lasting around 30 minutes, and the Sunday Grand Prix length is unchanged. Drivers can make a pit stop during the sprint, but it's not compulsory. The top eight score points in the F1 sprint with P1 getting eight points down to P8 getting one point. So the biggest change in this is that uh, the Friday afternoon qualifying session now sets the grid for Sunday's Grand Prix. Saturday shootout and sprint do not affect the starting order for Sunday's Grand Prix. So that's kind of the biggest change with all that. But I don't know. I think right now a lot of you're seeing a lot of concern right now from teams, uh, namely principals, saying that they're concerned about what this will do to the cars on Sunday, especially how it's going to impact the cap because they don't have an unlimited cap this year. So and they won't have an unlimited cap for the foreseeable future. Uh, So I think that's a pretty genuine, logical concern that these teams are having right now. What if they can't turn the car around in time if there is major damage to the car? So this is extra stress on the car. I I do think that perhaps the FIA, if they're going to be expanding these sprint races, maybe, and especially now that that sets the, the grid for Sunday's race, Maybe they do need to expand the cap and say, in case there's damage incurred during sprint races, this is what you can spend uh, to fix that. I don't know how they would get around that, though. This is a genuine concern. Obviously, we will keep on top of that, keep you guys updated. But for this episode, like I said, we're going to be talking to Vincenzo about his experience at Talladega. I want to ask him about the differences maybe between Uh, that and F1 weekends, what F1 could possibly learn from NASCAR and vice versa. So let's get into it. Vincenzo, how are you? How was your week? I am fantastic. Great. I feel good. I'm exhausted though. It was a, it was a lot of work and a lot of, a lot to take in. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm good though. I'm good. I'm happy to be recording this. Yeah, 
That was a nice break though. I feel like this is, this must be like what the teams feel like it, when they're, when they're on these unseasonal breaks throughout the season where it's like, okay, we get an extra week or an extra two weeks just to kind of do nothing. <laughs> so, I don't, do they do nothing? I mean, like that's no, the other thing. They yeah, don't do ahead. nothing, but I'm saying like, they're not traveling. They're not like yeah. racing. They're just kind of doing things behind the scenes. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I've, I've been, uh, I've been, I was at first, I was a little bummed out about the bit, you know, long break in the middle of the season, obviously with China getting canceled, um, that was kind of, you know, sucked, right. Or like three races into the season. And now all of a sudden we've got a month break or three week break. Um, so that was, that was kind of a bummer, but actually after like week two, I was like, you know what? Eh, kind of doesn't bother me. I, I, I don't know if it's just because I'm, I'm starting to expose myself to more motorsport that I didn't before um, or that I didn't allow myself before, but I felt like the break allowed me to at least do other things, not just with motorsports, but just in general, right, with family and, and whatnot. And so, um, especially this time of year, you know, I, I love this time of year. It's a great you know, that, that spring time, you, you don't have to worry about, uh, oh, I got to be home for the race or I've got to watch it. I'm not one of those like record the race type people and watch yeah. it later because it's like once I know, then what am I going to watch it for? Um, but yeah, so it was a, it was, I agree with you. It was a great break. Yeah. Much needed. I hope, I think especially after Australia, that was a lot to unpack. And maybe from the driver's perspective, that was nice to kind of get away from it for a bit, clear their heads because now you've got six or you've got five, five races in six weeks. That is a lot. So, you know, I think this break, especially after Australia came at a really good time for them. So hopefully yeah. that improves the racing in Baku. I know that they're kind of, a lot of teams are concerned about that race, obviously sprint format, et cetera. But uh, yeah. And then Miami, we saw the race last year it was, they were talking about their concerns going into some of those corners. So We'll see what happens, but then we've got Monaco thereafter. So Monaco is always one of those races where you've got some tractor holding up half the grid. Uh, you know, what do you do? Yeah. So maybe this was a good mental mental uh, cleanse for the drivers before they go into that gauntlet. But let's get into Talladega. How yeah. was it? Walk us through that. Uh, it was... I, you know, I said to myself, this is like the Monaco of NASCAR. Uh, it kind of, it, it kind of is in a way, right? If NASCAR had a Monaco, I think, I think this would be it. Um, just from the minute you get there, it's like, first of all, the complex itself is, you know, it's massive, right? It's, it, it's huge. It, the, the track itself is a 2.6, 2.66 mile, I believe, uh, tri-oval. And the first NASCAR race I ever went to was Bristol, which is a half a mile oval. It's more of a stadium and it's a big stadium, but this was a big track, right? This reminded me kind of like a coda in terms of how big the complex itself was. Um, and, you know, you're, you're in the middle of nowhere. You're in Lincoln, Alabama. I believe it uh, technically the town is called. And um, it is it's wild. I mean, you drive in when I drove in on race day. So I had been there since Thursday, Friday and Saturday driving in was pretty easy. Saturday's an Xfinity. Uh, Saturday was the, um, Arca Menards series race, 
which is basically like anybody that can afford a team can can kind of race in it. It's not super. It's like a feeder series. And then you had the Xfinity race, which is just below the Cup series, which is on Sunday. So on Saturday, traffic, like it wasn't too bad getting into the track. Friday was nothing, right? Like there was just practices and stuff going on. Um, so I didn't really realize it until I drove in on Sunday from, from I stayed out in Pell City, which is about 15 minutes from the track. And driving in on Sunday, I was like, oh, got it. This is crazy. Like there, the traffic was, I mean, there was a line of cars like miles back to get in. And what's even more fascinating about that is that I was told, oh, the traffic won't be too bad because most of the people that are going are coming for the race are already here. Because most people RV in and they're they're either in the infield or somewhere way out um, away from the track camping out. I mean, there's all campgrounds, right? And all you see is trailers and RVs and campers. Like that's all it, everyone has one. And you've seen you see some super nice ones. Um and you see like normal ones, but I mean, there were some that were like super freaking nice. And I was like, oh, those are like yachts. Like that's how I, that's how I envisioned it. Right. Like, you know, Monaco, you have your yachts in the, in the Marina here, you have your super nice campers that are probably just as expensive as, you know, someone's house, um, on wheels in the infield or just around the track. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I, you know, I hadn't experienced that when I went to Bristol, it was just a different experience. So that was, uh, that was really cool just to walk through and see people like, you know, setting up their campers playing. I mean, there was, I I saw one person that they had just outside their camper. They had a pen, like a, a play pen for their dog outside the camper, like covered in the shade. So the dog could play. They had their whole setup. They had like this massive television so they could watch everything that was going on. And they were just they were in the infield, so they were actually cars were going by just behind the camper, um, but they had the TV so they could watch, you know, the rest of the. Because again, like I said, it's a two point six mile track, so when the cars go by, you've got fifty seconds or so before they come by again. And uh, yeah, it was just it was just cool to see how people set up, brought their families. I mean, there was a lot of not family friendly stuff going on in different parts, but there was a lot of very family friendly, family oriented you know, camping and, and, um, you know, people really turn it into a whole destination. And I, I obviously being a motorsport fan, I, I know what Talladega is and, and I know the importance and the significance in, in NASCAR history, but it wasn't until I got there that I was like, Oh, I get this now. Like I, you could feel it. You just, the, the passion, the Americana, uh, that you get when you, pull up there is just next level i mean it was it was awesome it yeah (laughs) you seem like you were pleasantly pleasantly surprised by this experience you know i was surprised by my first nascar nascar experience in bristol where i had zero expectation i didn't do any like research i just nothing i also didn't know much about the bristol track at all um i was told afterwards like oh this is a great you know this is one of like top five nascar races or experiences and i was like oh i had no idea um and if, and everyone says talladega is probably number one on the list so i've now experienced two of the top five let's say nascar experiences or nascar uh races i you know knowing a little bit more about this or knowing that it was 
important. Uh, I kind of, I, I did a little more research for it <laughs> than I did before the Bristol race. I also wanted to be a little more prepared in the content that NASCAR had asked me to, to you know, prepare for the weekend. So I, I did a little bit more, but it, it didn't take away from just the awe of, of the event, of the, the, the space itself, the track. I mean, if you go into Talladega history and Talladega um, legend lore, it, it gets pretty wild. I mean, there's a whole like Talladega curse stuff that happens and it goes way back to um, being in a site of an ancient or not an ancient, but a, a, an Indian burial ground where the shaman put a curse on the entire valley. And like, there's, there's some crazy stuff that's happened. I mean, there's the stories I've heard where like, I think it was 1973, there was a driver who died in a solo crash and everyone said like, there was no way that that was a fatal it was a fatal crash. They were like, it was a heavy hit, but there's no way that was fatal. And he died from it. Um, in the same race, there was a driver who parked his car, literally parked his car, got out and left. And he didn't race another race in this, in that season. Um, he said that he heard voices and he's like, something told me to quit. I don't know anything else, but I wanted to listen to it. And that was it. Um, yeah. I, like he literally heard voice, like crazy stuff. And so I got a chance to talk to a few of the drivers and some uh, team principals or not team principals, team owners and whatnot. Um, I had great access, you know, thanks to NASCAR for that and, and giving me the opportunity to talk to those folks. But they were all like, oh, yeah, there's something different when you're here. Like, it's just you show up here and you feel like someone's always watching you. That's what I heard. Wow. Yeah. It, it, which is crazy, right? If you don't yeah. if you don't know these things, like as a newbie like myself, it's. Um, yeah, just, just wild, just absolutely wild. And, uh, you do get a feeling of, of something. It's like something bigger is here when you do show up. Like, I didn't even know those stories until someone told me and I was like, oh, got it. I feel like there's, you feel like that history. Uh, also it's Dale Earnhardt seniors. He's the most winning driver at that track. Which Dale Senior's a Dale Senior, Jeff Gordon, like those are two of the drivers I grew up hearing a lot about, and what I did watch a little bit of NASCAR growing up, and those were the drivers because you know their rivalry was what really uh, was a boom to NASCAR in the '90s and uh, you know the mid '90s. Um, so that was cool because I was like, I've always been a Dale Senior fan, but not really a NASCAR fan, right? I was like, Oh, I like Dale, uh, Dale senior, you know, just, just knowing that. And so it was cool to be on a track where he had tons of success. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's just so much, there's so much happening. <laughs> it was like, it's crazy how much was happening in it. And, you know, there's similarities, there's differences to other motorsport events I've been to, but this was definitely very, very pleasantly surprising. Yeah. Well, something I'm reading right now, since you've mentioned like there's a potential curse or, you know, something at Talladega, I'm reading that the first story has to do with Andrew Jackson seizing the area of land from the Creek tribe as a result of Creek shaman mm. said to have cursed the land. 
The second story suggests that the speedway itself was built on top of Native American burial grounds. Another narrative mm-hmm. indicates that a Native American chief was thrown off his horse and killed around where Talladega was eventually built. Ah, yeah. So this article from FanBuzz uh, is mm-hmm. kind of explaining the paranormal activity. I'll post this on my uh, on my Twitter if any of you guys are curious about reading this. But I mean, we've heard a lot of stories about Native American burial grounds, etc., cursing places before. So it's mm-hmm. not it's not like crazy thing to think of. This is pretty common in American history. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh. Again, it's like, it's It's wild to hear all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, did you personally, like, experience any, like, weird feelings when you were there? No, I don't think so. Um, Other than just... It's, I guess, the it's not a weird feeling, but being there, like, the minute I got there, I just felt like there was something bigger than just a race. I, I, I don't know how to describe it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Oh yeah, I felt, you know, someone was watching me or anything like I, I didn't, but I definitely did feel the, like there was energy. a sense of, yeah, there was just a different energy that, that was there. I, again, I, I can't describe it. You know, going to the Bristol race, it was like, it was, it was a race. You go there, it's a race, like you're enjoying yourself. But being at Talladega was just like... Obviously, this... Americans, we know how to party. We like to turn up, especially at NASCAR races. That's not like, that's not an, uh, you know, an unknown thing. We Mm -hmm. know that at F1 races, though, F1 has kind of this, um, this, uh, it's notoriously stuffy. A lot of that's what a lot of people say when they go to F1 races. They think that from the marquee, the Rolex, the you know all of the different um, higher end brands that are associated mm-hmm. with it, they always people say that they feel an air of stuffiness in F1 races. That they aren't as vibrant. Everyone is more subdued. It's more subtle, um, yep. and so I think that's the biggest pushback that people are having right now with having influencers at F1 races and having these big uh, these big um, activations with brands that you know are trying to get a piece of the f1 money people are saying now especially longtime f1 fans are saying that they're cheapening the brand so in terms of what you think f1 could learn from nascar uh what are your thoughts on that um i guess one thing that was really um and i'll say eye-opening but, and, and, and I've been to two races now, and, and both races had this opportunity for fans to walk directly through, you know, the pit lane, which I, I listen, that's there in Formula One as well. It's not something unheard of. Um, but it was like just normal fans. I mean, yes, there was like VIP level folks as well, but the VIP level folks are mingling in with kind of, I would say more normal ticketed fans as well. Uh, It doesn't seem or it did not appear to be that hard distinction between, oh, we've got, we've got, 
grandstand, you have standing room only, right? It's like everyone's just kind of all together and you see all sorts of different badges, you know, together at different, different spots of the, the event or the space. Um, there was, there was also some opportunities to, you know, for folks to buy tickets. There was a garage, there's a garage experience, um, and an experience center right there at Talladega, which I've been told is fairly new. I, I don't know how new I, somebody said that to me and I didn't get a chance to look into it, but it was this, you know, section right around the start finish area ish where there's kind of a fence separating pit lane and the experience area, but there's also a, the garage experience where you can walk. You're actually in the garage of, I think there's about eight or nine different cars. So you can actually look and, and talk to drivers or, or um, see them working on the cars, get autographs and pictures and stuff, which is really cool. There's a lot of people hanging out there all weekend. Um, obviously they can get pretty close to their, you know, get close to their drivers. Um, that was, that was pretty interesting to see because I don't know. And I, you know, here I am thinking about like F1 events and I don't know that there's necessarily, and, and you would know, I mean, you, you, this is something you can probably chime in on this side of it. I don't know that there is that much cross mingling in F1 events, right? Like if you don't have some $30,000 experience package, you, there's no way you'll ever get into like a certain area. Right. Um, I don't know if those experiences, first of all, cost that much in NASCAR. There's also 36 races. So there's more opportunities for that. Not saying that I think that F1 should go to more races. I just think having more races gives you more opportunities to do it. Um, you know, and, and keeps the cost down at these, at these different places. Yeah, I mean, from I mean, from what you've seen, do you do you see that at F one, like at F one races and stuff? Do you think that there's a lot of opportunities? Because maybe you know, I'm not saying I'm the end all be all. I, I could totally miss things, but I don't. I know that I walked into the Cash App suite, or not even a suite. It was the Cash App. Um, party area or whatever you want to call it. And there was security and all this stuff. You couldn't get in. I happened to know someone who knew someone that was able to, I mean, I went in there, they let me in, but again, it was only because I knew someone that knew someone. It wasn't an experience that was like open to anybody. It was, I mean, Serena Williams was in there for Christ's sakes. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just a free for all. Um, there was an Alfa Romeo experience that was also kind of like a separate ticket or you had to know someone or get invited by them. I don't want to say it was an experience. It was like just, again, it was like their little area with a bar and TVs near the track. Like that's all it was. Um, yeah. What about, so what do you, I'll kick it back to you. I mean, well, I have two thoughts on that. First off, I think, with formula one, there's a lot more technology building and development in F1 than there is NASCAR. And this is, this isn't a new thing. And 
so much of that is proprietary. It's a big difference between having a stock car and then Mm -hmm. having a car that you have your basic chassis and then there's a free-for-all and how you can develop that within the budget. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of proprietary information that they want to hide from the public. And I think what we experienced in Mexico last year, you had drivers like Pierre Gasly saying that it was invasive. It was becoming really invasive hmm. how many um, how many fans were able to access certain areas in the paddock that they felt were very intrusive. And hmm. so there's an issue to contend with there with F1. And again, this is just because of things that are proprietary within F1 that, you know, is kind of mutually ex- kind of exclusive to F1 rather. And then also NASCAR isn't global. F1 is global. So I think it has that exclusivity factor. Whereas NASCAR, it's like, it's just a traveling circus around the U S whereas F1 is, is all over the place. So I think that there are a lot of perhaps different reasons why F1 operates the way it does different to NASCAR. Um, But I think a lot of it, that exclusivity kind of, I think comes down to the fact that there's so much, in F1 that they're trying to keep a secret that they don't want to open the garages necessarily to that. Cause you notice too, when there are cameras in the garages, they yeah. don't, you don't really see computer monitors. And if you do, it's just a very like, like tiny snapshot. Yeah. They're very careful about what they even show on TVs and teams are very careful with how they position their monitors. So I, I yeah, I think that that's, that's the biggest difference I think between the two series and, and why I don't think F1 can learn a whole lot from NASCAR in terms of operations. I mean, obviously with, with, with F1 being what it is now uh, and also being a global circus, it's going to cost more money because it costs more money to put these, these races on. So, you know, and, and it's just, I think the way F1 works, but I don't know. I, I, no, that's a good, you know, and that's something I wasn't really, I guess my mind wasn't really thinking that way, but that's actually really good. Um, I, I didn't even necessarily think about the technology aspect of it to the point where, you know, they're trying to keep stuff more secret. Um, I, I, I know I heard that in NASCAR, you will have some teams actually pay fans to take photos of other cars and whatnot. Um, to get, you know, engine shots or shots of the brakes or, you know, things like that. So, again, I, I don't know how much of a difference it makes in, in a stock car racing, but it's still interesting that it happens. Um, and, and by no means do I think that F1 needs to take anything from NASCAR. I, I think they can operate on their own, and I think that's what's beautiful for the fans is that they get the opportunity to enjoy something in a completely different way. Um, I I will say this, and this is maybe me being a little, I don't know. I don't want to say sensitive, but I definitely feel more. You feel more at home or accepted um, at like at the NASCAR race, as opposed to like have and have naughty. Right. There's like this sense of 
oh yeah, you belong. Oh, you've never been here. You've never been to a race before. Let me let me show you around. Let me, you know, let me talk to you. For, I mean, I was talking to drivers for like forty five minutes at a time. I'm thinking I'm I'm a, a nuisance to them, but I was introduced and they were like, oh, this is first time, you know, this is what our first time at Talladega, only a second NASCAR race. Like I had a driver talking to me like 45 minutes. Um, wow. I had I had fans talking to me for 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And I'm just like, wow, you're talking to somebody who, you know, I'm not a Southern boy. I'm not a NASCAR guy, you know. And I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that's everybody, right? Of course, there's probably some people that were like, Oh, what's this idiot doing here? Right. But it was, I don't know. It was like, you just don't feel out of place, I guess. Um, and, yeah. and I've heard that a lot, you know, with F1 where people like, you know, it's that whole, um, gatekeeping thing that we've talked about in the past where, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people that are like, oh yeah, you know, you just, you don't get that warm feeling from others right like it's not a it's it's more elitist yeah uh, and, and we've heard that a lot listen let's 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 be real here we hear that a lot about f1 fans even on the internet right where it's like they think the only sport the only series that exists is f1 you know screw you if you don't if you don't like f1 screw you if you don't um uh if you don't know anything about f1 screw you if you don't think F1 drivers are the best drivers. Uh, screw you if you don't think F1 is the best series. Like that kind of stuff, right? And so I definitely don't get that vibe from being at NASCAR events. I will also say this. Obviously, NASCAR racers or NASCAR fans you know, love their sport and they think that F1 is racing with a computer. And you know, obviously, there's like that rivalry kind of stuff too, but there's also a lot of like respecting the fact that uh, there's different series but uh, from a lot of fans I talk to because I, you know, I got introduced a lot as kind of like, Oh, this F1 guy who come, you know, he's experiencing NASCAR and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, F1, like that's really cool. And like people would ask questions, like super interested. When I mentioned NASCAR to a lot of like F1 folks, there's really no other questions. They're just like, Oh, that's cool. Like people, they almost laugh at you when they hear when they first hear NASCAR. I mean, I've gotten that from a ton of people. So it's like, oh, it's actually pretty cool. I mean, oh, they just. I, and I was one of those people who used to say like, oh, they just drive around in a circle. I, I mean, I used to say that, but then I started really getting into the nuances of drafting and bumping and and rubbing and all that kind of stuff. And you know, the two rows, three rows wide, super speedway, mile and a half track, short tracks, and it's like, oh, there's like. It's different, but it's good that it's different. I don't want another F1 series, right? Like IndyCar is, you, you have IndyCar, so that's similar to, you know, a, another open wheel type racing. Like NASCAR doesn't have to be that, right? And that's that's the cool thing. Um, yeah. And I there's just so much to respect about what those guys do. I mean, crashing is like part of the sport. It's, you know, people, that's... First thing people said to me, I was like, oh, what do you, you know, some fans I was talking to, I was like, so what do you look for at Talladega? They're like, I, want, I just want to have a good time, a good race. I want to see a big one and that no, no one gets hurt. A big one is like a big crash. They're literally, that's part of the Talladega or, or Super Speedway experience. Is like, I want to see a big one, big crash, tons of cars crashing. But 
they're relatively safe, right? And I saw quite a few crashes this weekend. They're they're pretty you know pretty safe. Everyone, I, well, I say everyone got out safe. You know, thank the Lord. And but that's part of the experience, and that's part of the race is like bumping, rubbing, and 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 crashing up. And getting back out there, you know? I mean, I literally was watching a car in the Xfinity series. They pit under, it was like a red flag. First of all, under red flag, you came and touched the car. The minute the red flag was ra- was waved, I um, I saw the the pit boss or team boss, whatever he is, yelling to the guys, like, stop working on the car, get away from the car. Like, literally, car goes off. Everyone steps away, like, drops everything they're doing. Like, doesn't even touch a tool. And when they got back to it, they whipped, I mean, they took out a sawzall and literally cut out the wheel well because it was rubbing against a tire after the car had, cra- you know, gotten to it a little wreck. And he got back out there and finished the race. Literally, they cut out the wheel. I'm like, oh my God, that's so freaking like, it's crazy. And yeah, anyway, I know you were trying to ask me something and I kept going. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's to F1. When something isn't working or something isn't staying down, I mean, they typically just use duct tape. And I know a lot of people always kind of zone in on that during broadcasts and say, Mm -hmm. is that duct tape on the front? (laughs) So I guess it's kind of similar, kind of different, kind of, I don't imagine that an F1 team would ever, at least in this modern era, take out a Sawzall and go to town. And the the duct tape, the duct tape stuff you see is, usually to repair uh yeah. you know some like a small crack or a, maybe a small fracture because it's so integral to aerodynamics whereas at nascar at that stage of the race you're just like i'm gonna hack this thing off or whatever it doesn't matter like let's go um we just want to finish the race also finishing the race is important because the points which is which is also pretty cool how nascar does their points i don't i can't explain it fully but you know fit just finishing the race hanging in there is important for for a driver you know uh, uh, passing cars laps led laps finished like all that stuff is included in the points so it's not like okay only the top 10 I mean, we see it with with formula one you only have 20 cars out there if your race isn't going well and you're in the bottom you're, okay just retire the car whatever just retire the car in that car it, it it's important to, hey just keep running the just keep running because First of all, anything can happen, and we could end up, you know, finishing way farther up than we are now because of crashes and things like that. Or, you know, you can pass some cars, and and that could get you some points. Like that's something I think you know F one could look into is is how points are awarded because it's like yeah, the top ten that's great, but then you know races are not necessarily. No, you see things where where people just retire as opposed to hey let me go out there if I make a couple passes you know passes are worth points um, uh, you know finishing yes obviously those that's worth points as well but you know certain things you do laps led th- that's worth points you know so there's just points for more things it, it it would require drivers to do more it would require more passing which is whatever you know everyone wants more passing. Um, overtakes. Well, I think start rewarding that. Go ahead. I think that the biggest winner of expanding the points would be the FIA because of the payouts. 
say yeah, yes. I mean, so, yeah, yes and I no. The, the, the good and the bad in that, perhaps. Yeah, but is it really a bad? I, I, it is what it is. Like, take that out of it because that's not, that does nothing for the fan experience, right? Yeah. But it does something for the fan experience if you're like, okay, listen, um, you're going to get points for laps led. You're going to get points for overtakes. You're going to get points for obviously where you finish all the way down to 20, right? One to 20, you're going to get a, maybe the last place gets one point. I don't know. Or no, maybe, okay, maybe last place doesn't get a point. Maybe the top 15 get points, whatever it might be. Um, qualifying, actual qualifying itself gets points. Top top 10 get points. Now it's like everything matters, right? You can't just be like, eh, I'm going to mail it in or eh, the car's not going to run. Just, just turn it off and, and go back to the pay. Like everything makes a difference. Um, I say everything matters. Everything matters to a point where it's like, you have, you know, you have to go out there and drive, not just to like, I don't, know, not just to finish. I guess it's like you have to make something happen out on the track. I, again, I'm, I'm talking, I'm spitballing from just top of my head right now. I mean, I don't know if any of these things would work in in F1. I don't know if any of these things would make sense in F1. But again, we're talking about how does the series go from we've got all this popularity. We've changed regulations. We've got a dominating car that looks like it's going to be dominating for the next four years or three years. How do we make sure people keep watching? I don't know that the sprint rules that they just came out with, I don't know if that's going to keep you watching. To me, you know, you talked about the sprint rules at the top of the show. To me, the sprint rules kind of feels like Saturday is going to be almost a useless day because you have sprint qualifying and then sprint the sprint race um it and i say a useless day i mean that it's going to be one of those days where the tiktok race fans the ones that are you know have 90 seconds or 60 second attention span yeah they're gonna love that because it's like oh i got a half hour sprint shootout and then i got a quick race and like cool i watched f1 i'm not gonna watch this race on sunday and wake up early to watch it yeah but yeah are you are you really keeping you know, are fans going to sit there and watch all three days now? Because now you have so much happening. It's like, well, you know what? I could skip Friday. I'm going to watch the sprint on Saturday. Or I could skip Saturday. I'll, I'll watch it on Friday. And then I'll watch, um, you know, I'll watch Sunday. I don't know. It just, again, I, I'm, I'm a nobody. F1 doesn't want my opinion. But I think there are ways definitely to make every aspect of your weekend important without devaluing any of it. And to me, it seems like, cause it's not just this one sprint weekend, right? It's the fact that they may turn this into every weekend is going to be a sprint weekend at some point. Like that's, what's coming. Like, you know, that you know that that's what's coming. That's the next step for them. Okay. We're going to add six more. We're going to have 12. Okay. What comes after that? Every single one is going to be a sprint weekend. Because no one's going to want to go back to FP1, FP2, FP3 after you've had all this action, right? Supposedly. That's where I get kind of like annoyed. Well, I think that this is what makes F1 F1 is that throughout every single event, quality, race, etc. It's a process of elimination to get to the points. And that increases the competition. But that also increases a driver's ability to mess up to do to have a very costly error 
And that's, you know, that's, that's the nature of the beast. And, yeah. and I think maybe that's why F1 people like F1 the way it is because of that competitive nature. They know that there's no points for, you know, half-assed performance. And I respect that because obviously we're a generation where everyone wants a participation trophy. So I don't see where expanding points would do anything for the sport itself. But yeah, I, I, to your point though, it's, it's the fact that we're now into Baku and they've expanded the engine. You can have four engines throughout the season, traction control, MGUH, MGUK, all these different things. The fact that they're already expanding that, I think, in in light of the sprint races, again, are they expanding the budgets too? And they need to really, you know, have a hard look at how these things are affecting teams' abilities to maybe have their payroll, maybe, uh, you know, be able to put more money into R&D. And these sprint races are taxing on these teams. And I'm, I'm curious to know how much a sprint race actually costs a team compared to a regular format weekend. You know there's going to be a massive cost difference there. Well, they're already talking about – aren't they already talking about now There's they're going to start allowing – well, not already talking about. They did. They Yeah. Now, they, now there's like four – Four ICEs that can be used, four MGUKs, right? Like they've expanded wow. that usage. <sighs> I, but again, when you, they're not expanding the money that you can spend on these things, knowing the strain that they're putting on the cars. So at what point do you just go back to an unlimited budget? Exactly. Exactly. And and then what what did that do? You know, I again I, I'm not I haven't really thought about all this stuff deeply to the point where I could give a great answer but my top of mind response to this is like okay so we wanted to put institute a cap this cap cost cap you've already had your number one team break it probably broke it again now you've got word that maybe six teams are over it this year and now you want to add more races you want to add more sprint races which oh Okay, now you're just going to retract the the cost cap. So I was like, what was the point of the co- what was the point of implementing that in the first place? And that's the thing we talk about conspiracy theories on the show all the time. The conspiracy theorists would then come out and say this was the this was the FI this was F1's uh, uh, way to take Mercedes out of that top position and and you know switch F1 up a little bit. You know it would happen. So, uh, again, there's you know I mean, there's also people saying that. There's also people saying that this benefits Ferrari because now they, um, you know, they're already out of whatever. They've already used two or three freaking engines or whatever it is. Like this benefits. I mean, it, it's that's happened time and time again in uh, in Formula One where it things that happen benefit a team. Yeah. <laughs> um, Again, I don't like to go down that conspiracy road. Um, I get it, but it's also like it just it doesn't do me any favors personally to go down conspiracy thoughts. Um, and, and again, if that's if the politics of the sport do indeed dictate certain things like that, the problem shouldn't 
should be with the the system overall, right? That should be a problem, not with Red Bull or with Mercedes or whatever. It the problem is with the system. It's how the system operates, and that leads us to things like, like you said, oh well, giving out more points just benefits the FIA, or doing this benefits Red Bull, or doing this doesn't benefit Red Bull. <sighs> okay, well, that's kind of the that's that's where we are at. That's where the sport has kind of put itself. You know, they've, they've made their bed and now they've got to kind of sleep in it. Um, but I think going back to the differences between NASCAR and F1, I think this is a big reason why people like the simplicity and the relaxed nature of NASCAR, because it seems to be a hell of a lot less dramatic than Formula One right now. And as F1 continues to expand globally, as its interest continues to expand, you're going to have more of these debates happening where people are going to say, look, I love motorsports and I love the technology of F1. But the reality is a lot of people, and we've talked about this in the show before, they simply can't afford to go to races. And now with the drama and the cost cap and the you know added sprint races and all the things, I think there could be a time where people just say, I, I love F1. But this is a sport that doesn't, it's, it's not a fair sport. And, you know, maybe people will start going back to NASCAR. And I think that they need to really watch that because it's already happening. You're already having people saying that Vegas isn't meant, isn't meant for fans. It's, it's a, it's a big event for sponsors. That that's what it is. And that in itself, I mean, is that going to devalue the sport in general? I don't know, I guess, I guess to be determined on that, but you know, you, you don't run into NASCAR fans and immediately they say, Oh, you like NASCAR. Okay. Well, I'm going to quiz you. Yeah. That's the case in F1. It's like, you have to prove yeah. that you're an F1 fan before people will believe you that you're an F1 mm-hmm. fan. It's absurd. And so, yeah, we talk about the gatekeeping and then just this, the snootiness of the sport. And it's like, mm-hmm. at what point, I mean, just, uh, today, I think I read, uh, something on Instagram of, um, uh, Christian Horner, who said that there was a team that contacted one of their sponsors and said that because of the cost cap, it devalued that brand or something to that to that effect. And everyone's yeah. speculating, no, it has to be McLaren. It has to. It's like, is this really the drama that F1 wants? This is insane. But yeah. this is this is the shit that makes headlines. This is the shit that gets people going. And it's like it doesn't have to be that way. So you know, it's. It's and, and listen, there's plenty of drama in NASCAR. There's tons of stuff that I don't even, you know, things that I don't even understand fully referenced yeah. and whatnot, but we're seeing it a lot, I feel like, in in F one right now and in having a lot of in in a lot of the conversations I had this past uh weekend it seems like F1 is at the point where NASCAR was uh, post kind of post Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt, you know, they're at that point where there's attention. They had a ton of attention, you know, just like, just like uh, uh, F1 has been getting NASCAR had with, especially, like I said, with that rivalry between Gordon and Earnhardt, that brought a ton of eyeballs to the sport. And then they kind of got inside their own head and, and like tried too hard. That's what it feels like F1 is doing right now. It's like, it's trying too hard to keep people talking about it. 
where it's, yeah. it feels like it's just a marketing exercise or a, an advertising exercise or a PR exercise every time you hear something new, right? It's like it doesn't even surprise you anymore. Yeah. When when so, you know some news comes out and it's like instead of creating organic rivalries between drivers based on what's happening on the track, you know, there's all this like manufactured drama. It just feels I don't know. Doesn't doesn't feel good. Yeah, it's. I think we're out of at a weird. I think inflection point in, in F one history where they've got to mm-hmm. get a lot of things sorted and they have to do it quickly. And to your point, I mean the cost cap. That's a. I think that the cost cap causes has caused more of uh, more drama than than I think people mm-hmm. expected mm-hmm. it to. And it's forced teams in a way to play this psychological end game against each other. And that is the thing that we have reality TV shows for that. We have other shows that are supposed to satisfy that, that itch that, that especially Americans have for drama. Um, but it's just, it's not necessary. And I, I think that, yeah, to, to, to NASCAR's um, credit, yeah, they have their drama and we've seen their drama. We've seen their drama on a national level, especially, um, I think with the, yeah, Bubba Wallace, that was the extent of really the major drama we've seen in NASCAR. And uh, yeah, yeah. Ma- major, like, yeah, major, yeah. major with F1. It seems like it's nonstop. And I, I, I don't really know like what F1 can do, but aside from, Hey, let's lift the cost cap. Let's let's allow this to be a free for all because it seems like we're getting too wrapped up in the wrong kinds of drama. And if we're going to get wrapped up in any kind of drama, it should be who brings the best uh, technology to the racetrack. Yeah, that should be you know being able to siphon each other's engineers and you know have a free for all with throwing unlimited cash at people like Adrian Newey. It's that should be the the drama, the point of contention here. And, you know, yeah, it, it, if you have teams that maybe can't afford that, then I guess, you know, it's it's shitty to say, but I guess you're out. I guess you're going to have to sell the team or something. And there are going to be plenty of people, i.e. Andretti Cadillac, who want to come in and will pay top dollar for, for that ability to race an F1. So, you know, I think that right now there's just too much gatekeeping happening in F1. And I think it starts within the teams itself. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. You know, I guess to kind of close it up and it, my experience at two races has been fantastic. Two NASCAR races has been fantastic. Um, it it feels immersive. It feels uh, exciting. The cars sound awesome, right? They're loud. They're throaty, which, again, is one of my biggest gripes with F1 with these the, the, the engines right now. I, 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 you know, bring back the V8s, the V10s, and and I'd probably be a lot happier, be quite honest with you. Uh, I'd probably allow a lot of other stuff to just slide. <laughs> I mean, that's quite honestly the way I feel. Uh, but, yeah, I, I am, I'm a full convert, full NASCAR convert. Like, I'm absolutely stoked. Uh, to watch the races. Yes, there's going to be boring ones. Yes, there's going to be, you know, times where I may not watch just like um, anything else, but I'm I'm really excited about it. You know, 
Um, I'm sure there'll be things that pop up where I'm like, oh, I don't get that. I don't, you know, that's boring, but it's exciting and it's, it's fun when you start looking into the history of it and you start, um, just realizing how it's, it's ballsy. It's ballsy racing, no matter what it is ballsy. It is just as, uh, ballsy as any other type of racing. It's just as dangerous as any other type of racing. The, the, the men who get in those cars, men and women, they get in those cars are just as um, talented as any other motorsport out there. And when you accept it for that, you're like, okay, on, you know, this, this is good. This is, this is something I want to, I want to watch. And, and that's where I'm at right now. My life is where I'm like, I want to enjoy something that I can feel like I'm a part of like this community. I don't know. F1 doesn't, I don't get that vibe from F1 in general, you know, aside from content creators, um, that work so hard towards creating content for the sport, you know, and feeling like I'm a part of something with them. I don't feel like I'm part like F1 itself is like, Oh, you're part of this, this thing it, with NASCAR. It does. It does feel like that. And it does feel like, yeah. um, I could talk to anybody that's a fan of NASCAR and they're like, welcome. Like, this is what, you know, what do you want to know? Uh, come to a race, come enjoy it, come out to our, come to our camper, come hang out with us, come, you know, like it's just, it feels very different. And that, and again, I'm not knocking F1. It's just, it, F1's always been kind of this way, right? Um, yeah. Or maybe people just don't respect me in general as a person. Like that's <laughs> whatever. I, I guess that's what it is, but um, yes, I'll definitely camp. be, I'll definitely be spending more time watching, you know, now. I have been since I went to the Bristol race, but um, I'll definitely be spending more time uh, focusing and, and my attention and, and whatnot on NASCAR and, and other series as well, but yeah. um, branching out, let's put it that way. Well, if any of our listeners are interested now in NASCAR, especially after this podcast episode, you can give Vincenzo a follow on Twitter and Instagram. What are your handles? Uh, at Vincenzo Landino on Twitter and at the Vincenzo Landino on Instagram because somebody has Pennsylvania. That's really rude. Rude. So rude. <laughs> well, if you guys are curious about this uh, this uh, Native American situation at Talladega, follow me on Twitter because I'm going to be posting about that because that is my, that, that's up my alley. Uh, my Instagram handle and uh, Twitter handles are at the VF Castro. If you guys could, uh, if you like this episode, if you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating. We would appreciate it that uh Vincenzo any parting thoughts um no I mean uh, I guess parting thought it just back who this weekend is it gonna be a good race I don't know uh parting thought on this though I think it's going to we are gonna see Red Bull Fernando Alonso and I do think one of the Mercedes this weekend uh gets gets to the to the podium uh, I'm leaning towards Russell. I would love for it to be Hamilton for the record, but I, I think it'll be Russell. And I, I think we'll see that uh, both day, or all three days now, apparently, because we have all, th- all three days that have something going on. But I think you'll see Verstappen, Perez, Alonso top qualifying. You'll see uh, Russell, Alonso, and Max top the sprint. And I think you're going to see uh, Verstappen, Perez, 
and Alonzo probably again at the top. Although I do hope Nando gets his first win, you know, first uh, win of the season, 33rd of his career. Yeah, I don't disagree. Although- I'm, I'm rooting for not, I'm, I'm rooting for, for like at this point I am all in on Alonzo for this season. Yeah. That's, you know that's why? I, and I posted this again on Twitter that I think we're entering Fernando's villain era and there are a lot of people who are here for it. I'm one of those people. I'm into it this season. I never thought I never thought I would say that, but here we are. We've arrived. Anyway, that is what we've got today. Like I said, if you like the show, five-star rating, we would appreciate it. We will talk to you guys next week. Later. Thank you so much for tuning into the VF1 show. If you liked it, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And for previews of next week's show, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the VF Castro and Vincenzo Landino.